Welcome. Bonjour. Vous écoutez le podcast Dirty Feet sur les ondes de No More Radio. You're listening to the Dirty Feet podcast on the No More Radio Network. Nous sommes vos animateurs et animatrices. We are your hosts, Alison Burns, J.D. Papillon et Stéphanie Morin-Robert. Listen in. Écoutez. We're going to move you. This is a special fringe edition of the podcast. One of several episodes recorded while touring the circuit of the Canadian Association of Fringe Festivals during the summer of 2015. Fringe festivals showcase non-curated theatre, dance and other forms of art. You can learn more at fringefestivals.com. So on Dirty Feet this week, we are covering city number two in our Cross Canada Fringe Coverage Tour. Uh, again, we are traveling across the country with the company for Body and Light. Stephanie Morin-Robert, the choreographer, is going all the way west again. And myself and Linnea Giviazda, who's going to be guest hosting again this year, will be uh, joining her for the first couple cities. So we are in Toronto, Ontario, and we're at the Fringe Festival. We're currently at the uh, Fringe club which is uh the outdoor site at the festival here the day is just starting but uh it might pick up a little later on so any extra noise is just the the environment here we are going to be talking to some of the choreographers and people implicated in different dance shows and a physical theater show here at the festival and we're going to start with um liza smith who is uh a member, a founding member of the company Random Acts of Dance here in Toronto, and they're presenting the show Kojira here at the festival. So hello, Liza. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. So let's get started with, uh, with describing Random Acts of Dance. As far as I understand, the company was founded um, on the principles of, of site-specific work and kind of guerrilla-style performance. It was. Uh, when I was in university, I was sitting on the subway with a friend of mine, and we were both talking about how nice it would be to just get up and dance. So I decided that I should make a group that could do that. So we started Random Acts of Dance, and that summer we hopped on the subway, and we went in parks and in squares around the city, and we just danced. I brought a little battery-powered speaker, and we turned on the music, and away we went. And then this, this project that you're doing today, just to clarify, is actually not a site-specific work, but rather in the Randolph Theatre. So it's a stage performance. Um, did, you take, did you carry over any of your site-specific kind of... Um, methodology onto the stage when you started creating for the stage? Yes, we did. Uh, with the site-specific stuff, we were doing a lot of improvisation because you never really knew how many people would be, where you were, or anything like that. So we did a lot of work on um, different improvisation skills, and now we carry that through into our choreography. So some things are set, but a lot of it is um, improvised movement based on a theme or a specific task or a structure. And as far as the casting of the show, it's, a quite, it's quite the big cast. You have a big group of dancers. How did you go about that? And are they all people that have worked together before or, you know, before in the site-specific work and doing the, more of the guerrilla-style work? 
Yeah, actually, we Julie and I haven't worked with a ton of people in a while. It's been just the two of us for all of our theater things. And um, with this project, we were really excited to get some other dancers on board. So two of the dancers worked with me on a very small project in the fall called 60 by 60. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had that in Toronto. You do a minute dance to a minute of composed music. And um, there's 60 of them, so it's an hour long. And uh, so the two of them came with me to that and then agreed to join us for this project as well. And then the third dancer is a fellow new dance mom, not like dance moms, uh, the (laughs) show, just had children and our dancers. Uh, So we were just talking about how nice it would be to get back into dancing. And so I asked if she would be part of the project as well. So none of us had worked together before as a group until this project. And how is um, how has the process been as far as the structure? There's a huge improvisational element in the process of creating the work, but is it still there, or is it structure based, or is it all choreographed? It's kind of fifty fifty now, I guess. A lot of the creation was improvisation based, and then we set certain things and left certain things open, depending on what was happening on stage and and what was needed at the time. I like keeping improv in the performance because I feel as a performer it keeps me a little more alert and then as a viewer it's more interesting to watch and I've been told that it doesn't look improvised so that's good (laughs) that's good which keeps that site specificness that that probably feeds the work alive yeah on the stage as well how's the experience been in the Randolph theater Um, Good, good. It's a nice big stage. Uh, Our feet are very black afterwards. (laughs) So we keep meaning to bring big packages of baby wipes to wipe our feet off afterwards. Um, But otherwise, it's been nice. Um, Yeah, you guys are performing there as well. It's a pretty good stage. Yeah, we are. Yeah, it's a great stage. Mm -hmm. Um, And Kojira is is a collection of three different pieces? That's correct. Um, so how, how did those pieces come about as individual works and, and how are they linked together in your show? So individually, uh, the first piece, Patterns in the Ivy, I choreographed and it stemmed from that 60 by 60 project in the fall. Um, I had created a minute based on the music and I looked at them dancing and I was like, you look like woodland nymphs. And then I started researching woodland nymphs and... Um, you know, the Greek mythological ones that are really serene and beautiful, but still a little bit scary because they could, you know, torment you if you've done something terrible to the forest. And um, and then looking at different symbolism that came along with that. And so that's where my piece grew out of. So there's a lot of plant imagery um, that happens on stage and different parts of the dance when we're rehearsing them I say oh go to the ivy section or oh go to the lily pads section and things like that so um, that's where that one grew from uh, the second piece Julie choreographed and it's a solo that she's been working on for a little while now and it's a woman at her breaking point that moment where you go into your mind and everything's gone a little bit crazy mm-hmm. it's that moment <laughs> having on stage for you uh, and the third piece is uh, about a journey it's also choreographed by uh, Julie Grant it's called Kite Walk and um, it's four dancers on a journey and coming together to follow through on this journey there was a lot of kind of 
desert imagery as we were doing it. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Um, and then piecing them together actually was a little bit difficult for us. Usually we do a full-length work when we do something on the stage. Um, but we ended up finding that each dance piece was a little bit about um, change and how you evolve as a person or the world around you. Um, so that's kind of how they all link together. Yeah. And Random Acts of Dance, you you present work in different places and kind of immerse yourself in an environment and start dancing in that environment. How How is the response from from passers-by do people join you or do they watch a couple people (laughs) join us now and then uh it will often depend on the venue i mean we've done some street festivals when the junction arts festival was running we did that a few years in a row and uh the response there was great and everyone would stop and watch and was really interested in what we were doing but they were kind of expecting art to happen on the street Mm -hmm. um the subway is interesting we like to kind of sneak attack and you sit down and pretend nothing's going to happen and then you hit the music and everyone starts looking at you like you're the most annoying person in the world because you're on the subway. Why do I have to deal with this on my way to work? (laughs) Yes. I don't want to hear your music. But it's interesting because as soon as you stand up and start dancing to the music, everyone's really excited and no longer angry about the music playing. So um, there's been once that someone was not too keen on us performing on the subway but we're really good at keeping eyes open as we improvise and making sure that we leave space for people who are not interested in what's happening in reference to improvising on stage and and how you you mentioned that the audience doesn't necessarily recognize the improvisation as an audience member myself there's something um extra exciting when you know that it's not a fixed work is that is that a concern for you at all do you do you want your audience to know how the work is structured um, I don't feel like I need them to know. I don't think I mind either way. I have other projects where I, yeah, I understand that and I really want them to know that it's improvised. But um, with our Random Acts of Dance set stuff, like our pieces that we put together, if they know it's improvised, that's great. And if they don't notice, then I'm fine with that as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's not the, the main No, it's not really focus. the main focus. It's kind of how we build everything and, and keep a vibrancy in the performance. I had the pleasure of speaking with your counterpart, uh, Julie Grant, on uh, Evidence Radio, hosted by Ted Fox uh, earlier this week. And I asked her this question. I'd like to ask you the same one, which is, uh, what do you want your audience to feel when they leave your work, when they leave the show? That's a really great question and a big one. Um, I want them to feel an excitement for dance and an interest in seeing more of it. With this show specifically, um, for my piece as a choreographer, I would like them to have felt like they were in the forest. Like sitting in their seats, but there was some moss under the seats and bits of ivy growing over the chairs. And um, So there are different pieces, but I see you've been working with or collaborating with one composer in particular. Um, is, it, is that the through line that kind of brings? Is it one track or is it really three separate pieces? I'm, I'm curious about the sound and the music that's, that's used for the show. It's really three separate pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second piece is actually found music. It's, it wasn't composed for us. Okay. Um, but Greg Harrison created music for Patterns in the Ivy and for Kite Walk. And I mean, he created both, but I don't feel like listening to it 
you feel as though it's the same piece. It's very, mm-hmm. very separate separate things three separate pieces and is it somebody you've worked with before um i had the pleasure of working with greg as um an instrumentalist while i was teaching Mm -hmm. and while i was taking class as well and just met him there so this is the first time we've collaborated uh, on a show and i had someone who sees a lot of my work come out and say i think you've found your sound Hmm. like he just said that the dance and the music really went well together and that the style of Greg's sound fit well with the style of our choreography, which was exciting to hear. <laughs> and as far as um, participating in the Fringe Festival here in Toronto, what's your biggest challenge? What's been the biggest challenge for the company? I think fringes are always hard. This isn't our first fringe. We've done a couple. And dance at the fringe is always a little difficult because people come to the Fringe Festival and are really excited to see sketch comedies. <laughs> and so am I. I go to a bunch of them. It's a good time. Um, so there's a little bit of a trick of trying to draw audience in to the show. That's probably the hardest thing. But once they come, I mean, I had someone wait for us after our second performance so that they could tell us how much they liked the show. And her words were that she felt that the show was life-affirming. And that was so exciting for me. So even though it's hard to get audience out at Fringe, I think it's really important that dance is at the Fringe in order to build a new audience base for contemporary dance. Excellent. Liza Smith, thank you so much for joining us today. It was wonderful to hear you talk about Kojira and Random Acts of Dance, the company that's based here in Toronto. Um, And best of luck with the show. Thank you so much. Next up in our interview is covering the Toronto Fringe Festival and the dance and movement theater involved. Uh, we're going to be talking about a multidisciplinary show called 10 slash 10 slash 10 Project. We're going to be speaking with Aaron Jan, and uh, the company name is Bismuth Theatre. So, Aaron, thanks for being here today. Thank you. On this beautiful Monday noon. Noon. Yes. Afternoon. Slightly <laughs> afternoon. Sort of, yes. Uh, so I would like to know about this this huge group of people that you've brought yeah. together and maybe you could even just start with what 10 slash 10 slash 10 means. Okay, so it's a little bit of a story. Um, so I was sitting, I'm a York graduate, so I was sitting in a class and we did a Chance Procedures project and I'm a non-dancer and I was like, okay, what's interesting about Chance Procedures to me is that we can't control anything. So let's do a dance show because we don't know anything about dance. So um, I asked all my friends, and we were like, let's get dancers together. And we didn't know any dancers. So we were like, this sucks. Um, so, but then we realized, maybe this doesn't suck. Maybe we can make a show without knowing any of the creators. Maybe we can make a show that we make things through completely random procedures. So we got ten writers together, and we all had them write ten pieces. Those ten pieces were then given to ten composers who composed ten pieces. Those 10 songs were then given to 10 choreographers who, who choreographed 10 dances, which were given back to the writers who rewrote their first pieces after seeing the dances. So now the project is a culmination of all 30 of those works, scrapping the first writing pieces together all at the same time. As director, my job was to stitch them all together 
um, into something coherent. Uh, we have everything from open viewpoints as choreography. Um, we have poetry. We have someone who just cried for her choreography piece. Um, so yeah, it's 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 everything all at once, all the time. That sounds contemporary as hell. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy because like I was in the room and I'm not a dancer, right? And I walked into the room and I was like, oh my, what are you doing? Like I just saw all these legs flying everywhere, and, and like it was. We had to like get a, a, a um, like a joined language to talk to them because like I don't have any dance training. I keep saying that over and over again, but I do not have any dance training. So. Finding a common ground was really interesting, and finding th exercises that certain actor dancers could do and others could do just to get um, just to feel out what the show was. So when you're you're saying you're only bringing it together at the last moment, is that like in, in tech for the show? Or oh no 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 no! no. Okay. We've been uh, in workshop mode for about six months. Um, we started so the writers started last year in March. Everyone finished their pieces by September, so we've been hacking away this in since September of 2014. But in terms of combining the works, oh, we've been combining since September of 2014. Oh, okay, okay. I uh, I got 30 pieces and just dumped on my desk um, in September, and I looked at all 30 cards and I was like, okay, what's the through line? What connects them all? Um, one of the rules of the project is I wasn't I, I I'm not I wasn't that doesn't make sense. I, I'm not allowed to talk to any of the creators, so I I don't know what piece what their intent was with certain pieces um so i could just i just look at the core movement pattern uh hear the sound and listen to all the text no i couldn't cut any of it and then stitch it all together and then are they not allowed to speak to each other either yep none of the creators were allowed to speak to each other because the whole idea of this um kind of stems back to this a problem i have with pedagogy in that like i think as a theater creator as a playwright and director and theater creator um and I, guess, as, and I guess for choreographers, too, we learn to be critical, and that's great. But I think oftentimes uh, being overly critical of the work can get in the way of creating the work, can get in the way of fully molding it until it's ready for criticism. So in this way, 10 to 10 is kind of a rejuvenating process for artists because you're stuck with the work you're given. Like, um, our viewpoints choreographer was stuck with dubstep. Like, she had to use the dubstep song. We, we paired that up with her. So, like, by being forced to find inspiration in the work of someone you may never know, in a piece you might not even like or you might love, we kind of open, I guess, reopen that, like, sort of creative animal in our 30 creators. And that was really exciting to work with. And then you have layers of, of interpretation on the project. Totally. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, the through line I found with all the pieces uh, was I looked... Every piece will be... Every 10 and 10 will be different, obviously, because there's going to be a different director with every new process and different group of artists. But I'm exploring uh, human connections in the digital age, this idea of um, incomplete cycles and incomplete receptions of, of human connection. Yeah, that's my sort of thesis for the show. And, and what has some of the response been from the artists that have contributed to this project? Um, it's interesting, too, because some of them are seeing... All of them are seeing it for the first time at the Fringe. Um, our first artists are showing up tonight, actually. So it's going to be oh, really so exciting. Oh, so you'll see how, we'll how see. it all turns out. Uh, one of our writers um, saw... Actually, that's a lie. One of our writers saw the show yesterday, and he was like... Not yesterday. Two days ago. And he was like, whoa! Because he saw the workshop version. It's evolved considerably since then. And it's, it's interesting, because I don't think they expected... I don't think any of us expect what we saw. What we made. And is, it's, it seems to be something that you're very passionate about, yes. this idea of bringing people together and, totally. and cutting the communication and having to work with what you got. Mm -hmm. Is this something, um, like the 10 by 10 by 10 project, is this something that you'll do with new artists and yes. have uh, a second version of it? We have a second version. We already have our 10 writers for the next version. Um, we're looking, actually, uh, for 10 choreographers, 10 composers, and 10 filmmakers so if anyone's interested, shoot us an email at 10to10workshop at gmail.com. 
Um, we're still kind of in limbo for that because we're in fringe mode, but we'll get back to you. Just send, send us your stuff and we'll poke around with it. I'm really passionate about the project too because I'm kind of from a city that doesn't really have an independent art scene where a bunch of community theaters just do dinky musicals and they combat each other and they don't get along. So like, I'm really passionate about getting a bunch of young people together and promoting their work. And that's, I think, what the heart of the project is. And that's why I will continue, if not directing, to keep producing this thing over and over and over again. And through this project, you've met all kinds of people, writer, choreographers. Are there people that have kind of really stood out and that you want to continue to work with? All of them. I love <laughs> all of them. Um, some of them I've never met. So that's the interesting thing. Uh, but I think the beauty of the project is that now are now I know 10 dancers I know 20 dancers I know 30 dancers now I know 30 choreog I just said choreographers I know 30 writers I know 30 um, movement artists I know 30 amazing composers our composers have worked at cons um, they've scored theme parks they've scored video games um, yeah and I I think one of the problems I have when I make theater is that I keep the doors pretty closed like it's my stuff but like what's exciting for me about the project again too is that it's out of my hands, and I got to open the doors and meet a lot of other people, and that's very So there's a lot of uh, trust that you need to give to the people you're collaborating with. Totally. A lot of trust, because the, I don't know what their intent of the work was. So I have to honor that. I have to honor their movement patterns, and I have to be inspired by it, and I think that's something I trust. I trust that all of the, we chose these 30 people for a reason, because of their diversity of styles and trainings. And now it's just to find that through line and push it forward. And going into the project, you say, oh, I don't have any dance training. I know nothing about dance. I don't yeah. know any dancers. How has that changed? Do you feel like you have a certain understanding of what uh, choreography is or what, com what movement is, what dance is? I understand space better, I think. Mm -hmm. I understand, from the workshop, I understand um, how to um, space and creating a theatrical situation out of a, um, out of a piece of movement. I think that's... That's what interested me. I was allowed to change the formation of the dances and the number of dancers, but not the core movement patterns. So I think uh, I, if I were to do this project again, if I'm ever selected as director again, I would better be able to, um, at the very beginning, look at all the dances and see how my theatrical blocking can work its way through it while still honoring the movement. And I think in that way, I've improved <laughs> in a way. <laughs> I love the idea, the kind of experimental um, feel of, of what you're doing. It's, it's kind of like a science experiment. I it's like, that. take all these pieces and see what will happen. Did you have a hypothesis before, before starting the experiment? And did that turn out? Or did it, did it go in a completely opposite direction? Or how did your expectations and, and, and the results uh, differ from one another? Oh, God. Um... I think I expected it to be a lot easier than it was. I think for some reason I expected like it'd be a beautiful story of all these dance pieces and like everything would work together. But I was surprised by how hard it would be to stitch them together initially. And I had to adjust my way of working. I think that's the thing. That's We didn't really have a hypothesis starting it. We knew it'd be something. But I think, again, um, I learned how to negotiate movement on stage. And I think that's the biggest thing that I took away from it. Um, in terms of expectations, I didn't expect the pieces to go together so well. I think that was my big surprise, especially the writing. I remember I was looking at the 10 pieces. I was telling my drama director, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Then I found something in one and found something in another and found something in another and found something in another. And I think that's one of the beauties of the project, that if you make something through broken telephone, <clears throat> everything will ultimately somehow work out. 
And I think it's it's also a really neat way to connect artists. I think mm. I hear from a lot of people that they would love to collaborate with a composer. They'd love yeah. to collaborate with a dancer. And it's just finding the resources to find those people. And so this is a really uh, neat way of doing that. Totally. I guess it's a great thing that you're you're starting for that reason. Yeah. Um, again, I'm, I'm from Hamilton, <laughs> um, where the disciplines don't really talk to each other. So that was a lot of my big impetus. And all of the choreographers... A lot of the choreographers were really excited, but the composers were especially excited, too. Because this group of people, um, they work with media that's already finished, like film, um, video games, um, sound collages. So th- one of them is in this like 32-piece marching band. So the idea that they were able to work with live physical performance, I think, was really exciting for them. And you also have a geographical kind of mix happening oh, as yeah. well, which is yes, extra we do. exciting. We have a writer from Vancouver. who's uh, She's been in McLean. She's won a bunch of awards. Um, we have um, a high school student from Toronto who's in the piece. Uh, we have um, a uh, conservatory grad from Fredericton. Uh, one of our dancers is from Winnipeg, which is misspelled in the program as Winnipeg, Ontario. Sorry, Sophie. Um, we have, um, <laughs> and we have uh, some um, someone from New York who gave us a very interesting piece of choreography that was her, herself talking to the camera and crying. So that's that's really been really exciting to work with. And hopefully I'll meet some of these people at the festival, because um, I wasn't allowed to talk to them. So I'm excited to meet these, pe- meet these people and talk and see what they think of what we made. And how have you been uh, liking the Toronto Fringe? What's, what's the response been from the audiences and the public? It's been really exciting this year. Uh, two years ago, I did the Toronto Fringe. I was really scared. I was like, we're not, we're selling, we're selling. This year, I haven't really been focused on that. I've been kind of really enjoying myself, knowing that the work we made is really solid. It's an experiment. Um, yeah, I think... I think the interesting thing is you bring a theater audience and a uh, sound audience and a dance audience all into the same space, and hearing them talk about the show after and share their watching experiences, I think that's been the most rewarding thing, for sure. Aaron Jan, thank you so much for joining us and telling us about 101010 10, 10 Project so and uh, Business Theater. And um, yeah, like you, like you said before, you're doing a call out for another round. We so it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what your discipline is. Well, it does matter a little bit. Choreographers, filmmakers, musicians. Yes. Excellent. And uh, that email address again? 101010workshop 10, 10, 10 at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Thank you. Next up, we're going back to the dance programming at the Toronto Fringe. The show is called The King's Castle, and it's uh, by a company based in New York, the New York Dance Creators. And all the members of the company are actually from other places in the world. Uh, The two guests we're having on today are both from Japan. We have Wakako and and Kase. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you very much for inviting us. <laughs> Our here. pleasure. And then and there's other, another member of the company from Cyprus and another member of the company from Brazil. Yes. Um, the, another girl is Cyprus. Her name is Androniki. And then the guy from Brazil, his name is um, Juranji. Perfect. And then this, this is the, the concept of the New York Dance Creators, is to gather these people from other places into New York mm-hmm. to collaborate. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is right. the intention of the company simply to create work with different geographical or cultural viewpoints? Yes. Yes. So let's, let's narrow in on The King's Castle, this work which is uh, two duets in essence. The two of you duet together and the, the two other company members are also performing together. And you kind of trade off back and forth these duets. Um, it kind of sways between neoclassical and contemporary movement throughout the work. There seems to be a development of, of time as well throughout the piece. Ah, uh, yeah. 
and also the the basic idea of the uh, making this piece uh, was uh, uh, we had a big earthquake back in uh, 2011 in Japan, and uh, that really uh, devastating thing happened there, and uh, the all the tsunami ripped off the land, but also the our heart was so shocked and uh, also kind of uh, almost destroyed our feeling, you know. And uh, we realized that uh, the land is not secure. Like, uh, we feel like uh, the land is stable, but it's not secure. And, uh, like, when I think that uh, to transform into that thing into dance, uh, like a finding the center is a kind of struggling thing, but uh, that's wh what we dance for. You you dance to find like a center and stability, right? Yeah, like amongst uh, what this this yeah. mayhem that may happen in the world mm -hmm. at any time. Right, right, right. So um, the first duet we did, um, we started out with the idea, which is, um, okay, um, I am a female part. I don't have the legs, actually. I do have a legs, but no strength, and uh, we, I can't stand on my legs. So I need the support of him. But uh, so he um, supports me, and also he's dragging me, but I want to escape from that. So that's the idea of the uh, uh, when we create a movement. And then it end up um, that duet you saw. So, so you've created these physical parameters of, of you know, not using the, the strength of your own legs and then also trying to escape your, 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 your partner's embrace. We, and we try to see what's going to happen. Is this a, was this a purely physical exercise or did you have, like throughout the work there does seem to be um, like a gender dynamic playing out in both well, couples? Yeah, 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 exactly. So what was, what was the dynamic you were trying to create with the duets? Mm -hmm. So um, we tried to uh, see what's going to happen and then usually in ballet or other kind of like social dance or whatever it is, usually you, um, you are supported in a certain way and then um, the man usually um, supports women, um, the women and then make her turn or make her on a uh, balance or whatever, but we don't want to do that. So uh, we try to do our opposite way and then it um, makes us feel very awkward and then very uncomfortable in a way. But uh, we want to see what's gonna, um, how it goes and then that's how um, we um, try to do when we make that uh, duet. There, it's, there's also a very different dynamic between the two of you and between the two partners in the other in the other duet. Um, does this does this have a geographical reference in the or a cultural reference, or is it is it your background in dance that created that that difference, or is it um, this, the, your individuality that created that difference? Probably it's individual thing. Uh, we don't mean to. Uh, Mm, create from our background, actually, but it just happened because uh, 
we all from different, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And then the custom, and also the uh, dance training, and the, um, then maybe, yeah, I think a very cultural thing in the background. It's all different, so it just happened. And then, yeah, I like the um, encounter. And what's your what's your background dance training? What what are the tools that you bring into this work? I studied ballet, like um, children's ballet, when I was five years old. And then, actually, my f- grandfather is a no actor. Do you know the traditional Japanese theater with a mask? Mm-hmm. And he was he's a, a master of that no. Uh, theater and then he, uh, my family was going to put me in that training but I really refused it because I really like to do ballet because I saw that once in TV and then I asked my um, parents to take me to the ballet and then um, after that I keep just I have kept dancing a lot and I did um, classical training and modern in Japan and then I I went to New York, and then I want to see a lot of different kinds of dance and also the culture and art. And then, then uh, I worked with uh, so many different choreographers in New York, and I toured a lot. And then, now, here I am. And about me, um, I was pursuing my career as a painter. Since I went to uh, New York to learn the the design thing in there uh, at the Parsons School of Design. I so uh, well wonderful modern dance there, something like Cunningham, mm-hmm. and uh, I was so in- inspired by that. And uh, I started to study dance since then, and uh, my aim uh, kind of straightforward to that. And now here I am. <laughs> How is the dance, uh, the dance community different in Tokyo to New York? And what made you decide to establish yourself in New York? Um, well, actually, um, there is like not so much dancing going on. Now uh, there are some, but not so much opportunity for a new um choreographers and also um, they like classical ballet and then um, people really go to see ballet but not really modern dance and contemporary. that's in, in Tokyo you're yeah okay in Tokyo mm-hmm. and uh, I really want to see a, a new or experimental thing and I want I'd like to try and um, that's why I'm I'm here I mean <laughs> in New York so it's dif- mm-hmm. so different and there are Mm, probably they are more conservative in a way. Yeah. And in Tokyo. And how um, how has it been? This is your first, both of your first times in Toronto. Uh, you're here performing work at the Fringe Festival. How is the experience so far? You mentioned you were just getting over being jet lagged and being in a new city and the the transportation. Um, those are a lot of challenges that are. Yeah. And um, actually, um, when we just arrived, which was. Um, July 1st and then we didn't know that's Canadian day <laughs> and we got so surprised wow and then that all the stores are closed and then um, I, I we don't know what, how to get to the house w- which 
uh, where we supposed to stay, and then we walked around so many hours and carrying all the stuff, and <laughs> and then you know, but you know, um, then now I we feel much better, <laughs> and then we know uh, there are subway and streetcars and buses and then all the transportation. So now we are all fine. <laughs> And then you know what, people are so kind in Toronto. Um, I mean, compared to New York. <laughs> 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 and then we asked uh, um, people in the direction on the street, and then everybody um, answers and explained so kindly. We are so like um, glad about that, and you were so happy to be here. What's next for you guys? What's are you continuing this project after the Toronto Fringe is is over? Are you going on to new projects? What's what's the next thing on the horizon for you both? Yeah, uh, we we might uh, go to Switzerland, Basel. I don't next uh, next year or next year. yeah. We're still working on that project now, and uh, we, we probably we're gonna make a new piece for it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we are ready to start new piece, and we are so excited about it. Yes, mm. so because we have been um, before here, we were in Serbia, Beograd, and Novi Sado, and then we went back to Japan first, and then came here. So this is uh, our last show of the King's Castle. Oh yes. wow! The last last chance to see it. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And you're getting an incredible um, kind of tour of the world as well, in many different dance communities and and cities around the world. So that's exciting, I'm sure. <laughs> Thank you, Wakako and Kase, for joining us today and speaking about uh, the New York dance creators and your show, The King's Castle, that's playing here at the Toronto Fringe Festival. And uh, best of luck. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Next up on our coverage of Dance at the Toronto Fringe, we're going to be speaking with Melissa Major from the company The Cheshire Unicorn, which has been in existence here in Toronto since 2002. And the show that they're presenting at the festival this year is called Everyday Oppressions. And it's a group work that uh, Melissa choreographed. Am I right? That's right. Uh, so we also had a guest choreographer, Carissa Farrar, and she uh, assisted with some of the numbers and some of the overall choreography as well. So between the two of you, you kind of put the work together choreographically. Yeah, she was. So she kind of came in for a couple of to work on a couple of the numbers specifically, and then just sort of eyeball things overall. Excellent. And as far as I understand, there was some collaboration as well from your from your group of performers. Yeah. So when I created it, the I made a quote unquote script, and that was really just a database of what was to happen, which I didn't give anybody. So I would refer to things like, now we're going to do scene seven. And they'd be like, what is that? Um, but it was, I didn't give it to them because it was, it looked really weird. Like, it would be like the scene where the guy eats the apple from the other guy's hand. 
And so I didn't want to scare people off because that sounds really odd. But I knew once we did it, it would make sense. So there was a scene in the show where somebody does suggestively and um, with uh, some control feed an apple to somebody else. Uh, I want to get back to that for sure. <laughs> but I would love to to take a step back and just talk about the Cheshire Unicorn sure. for a second yeah. and, and what, uh, what caused you to found this in 2002. Uh, so originally it was, um, I had started to look at doing self-producing some shows and it really has sort of came to fruition just because it made sense to sort of use the same company over and over again as opposed to starting new companies (laughs) all over the place. But, um, yeah, I just wanted to focus on doing new original work and things that incorporate a lot of movement and... Uh, just experiment with different styles and genres. And you have a cast of, of nine young dancers in in this show in particular. Uh, do you still perform yourself, or are you more interested in, in the choreographic craft? Occasionally I will perform. Sometimes. Okay. I haven't in a little bit, but every now and then. To not go too far from this Apple idea and, and, and your <laughs> idea of creating that script ahead of time, did you come with the... With with all the movement and the structure of the work pre-prepared and then just um, kind of feed it to your dancers at that point? Uh, It was more of a skeleton. So I knew exactly what I wanted to sort of happen in each scene and what the concept of was for each scene. But then we sort of came up with the things in rehearsal. So some of them would be, I'd send them with exercises like, okay, create a movement for this and a movement for this. And then we'd string them together and make a phrase and uh, or or it would be sometimes it was a little more prescribed. I was actually in India for three months and came back five, six weeks ago now, so I knew I only had five weeks to do it. Otherwise, I would have loved to work even more collaboratively. But I knew with the time restraint, it had to be fairly set coming into it. And you you compare your work in this um, show at least to the work of Pina Bausch who many people are familiar with, with the recent documentary by Vim Vendors. Mm-hmm. Um, is that always been, has she always been an inspiration in your work or has that been uh, just for this particular show? Uh, I'd say this show has the strongest influence from her work, but uh, I've always, she's definitely always been an inspiration for me. Uh, I was lucky enough to see her last show, Volmont, in New York at the BAM before... Uh, well, I think that was right after she died, so that was very lucky. And just a lot of the way the way her the way she works imagistically, and um, the way she works with a lot of like simple images that kind of translate in a big way it was mm-hmm. a big inspiration for me. And such as the apple, perhaps. <laughs> such <laughs> as the apple, yeah. Or as one person referred to as using making use of props and. Like simple props in kind of a big way. Well, the the chair section where you have one performer sitting on a chair and another performer kind of crawling under the chair, that's kind of straight from Pina's handbook. Yeah, it's very, very similar scene. Yeah, it's true. Do you have a strong background in theater as well? Or where, where was the uh, point in which you brought in the theatrical, more theatrical elements into movement? So, I, so I'm not a dancer or a choreographer. My background is theater. So I was getting a lot more focused. I actually started out as a playwright. 
and then started directing and kind of going more into the physical realm of things and then kind of fell in love with the movement most of all <laughs> and then working with dancers just became the obvious choice so it was the opposite transition yeah yeah exactly um, in the program information, there's not necessarily a mention of a uh, composer or uh, as far as music goes. What What is the soundscape like? Uh, I did the sound design. It's mm. kind of, there's a lot of different things. One component is um, some recorded interviews that I did with people in India while I was there about isolation and feelings of oppression. And then just layered some sound underneath. There's also a... I don't even know what to call it. At the beginning of the show, there's a um, recorded monologue, we could call it that, sure, or a series of questions that uh, is asked of the audience. And um, uh, it's kind of taken from uh, Vedanta philosophy. And um, uh, do you travel a lot? I know that this this work has... Uh, I mean, you, you jumped right into the creation, mm. bringing it together five weeks before the festival started, right after your trip. Um, do you find your travels often influence your work, and is that your main inspiration? I would say it's one inspiration, not necessarily the main, though this one was certainly very, ins- very uh, influenced yeah, mm-hmm. and present in the work, for sure. This India, and I was at a yoga ashram, and there's definitely a lot of influence in the show from that. Yeah. Is this the first time you used the Toronto Fringe Festival as a platform to showcase your work? No, I think this is the fifth fringe show I've done. Wow. Yes. And what uh, what have you what makes you come back to the fringe? What what makes this a a, a good platform to to showcase your work? Uh, th- I mean, one thing is just the energy of the fringe. Another thing is for a show like this, I think it's uh, the fact that it's a lottery and that there's completely uncensored content. So that kind of plays into uh, the discussions that we've been having about oppression. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, the, I think the Fringe is a great venue for showcasing and trying new work and just doing new things, which is always what I'm interested in doing. Like, I'm not really interested in doing things that have been done a thousand times before. I'm interested in taking ideas and shifting them or mm-hmm. just trying out something completely new. And the Fringe Festival, having done it before and this being your fifth year, what are, what are key tools that you've learned along the way that, that make you a bit of a veteran when presenting work in the, within this festival? I think, in a way, it's... M- well, two things. One, I think, is a lot in the sort of businessy side of it. I mean, promotion is so key and getting word out there. I think that is... Because you're competing against, I think it's like 148 other shows or something like that. So just finding innovative ways to get the word out there and knowing that you have to stay on top of that. And the second thing is now I am like your three-hour tech time. I'm like a ninja that I can go in and like wham that out like nobody's business. Because that's always a challenge, like three hours of tech to do a whole show is insanity. But now not even deterred by it. Just to return to the show content briefly, um, you it, it's considered you consider it contemporary dance. 
I imagine. I call it like dance theater because there is there is definitely a theater influence. There's also a ballet influence and there's yeah. a boylesque influence yeah. as well. Um, and that makes me wonder where you found your collaborators, your cast. Uh, originally, I did put out an open call. And I think out of that, out of the nine performers, there is one <laughs> from that open call. Yep. Yep, there's one. Um, and the rest are people that I have worked with before. Melissa Major, thank you so much for joining us and Thanks talking about uh, the company, the Cheshire Unicorn, and your show, Everyday Oppressions, playing at the, the Fringe this year. Great. Thank you very much. And now we're going to listen to a piece of music that is actually in the production. It's more fun to be with people alike. There's a safety about it, like... You can feel isolated anytime, all the time. As soon as the group uh, forms, then, you know, if you're not in that group, you, you, you feel isolated. wasn't fitting in somehow and they isolated me you are already isolated without knowing it because you have already isolated yourself by establishing a one-to-one relationship with one person at some point you have to relate with the group What is different, it, it's, uh, it, it scares people. Because actually people don't, I mean, they like to talk a lot, but then they don't, they don't have anything, like they don't actually practice what they're saying and they don't apply it to their daily life. You need to fight the system inside the system. I can do this. Too many people have tried to, and like, guess what? The system is still there. We're going to wrap up our coverage of the Toronto Fringe Festival with a, another theatre piece that lies heavily in the realm of physical theatre. It's a piece called Pool brackets no water uh, and the company name is Q6 and uh, it was uh, founded by Jill Harper here in Toronto Ontario and uh, that was uh, 2008 so uh, hi Jill hi how are you good thanks uh, I would like to hear a bit about uh, what inspired you to create Q6 out of university um, Q6 came out of uh, I guess two of us myself and my producing partner Sarah Ilyatovich Goldman uh, were both graduating from really different programs at the same time. I got a film degree and she got a theater degree and we worked together at that time to make a film and also produce a play. Uh, and coming out of school, we kind of thought, we have the same aesthetic, we like to do the same things, let's start a company and keep doing them. Uh, and then it sort of has morphed over the years into primarily a theater company and that's been what we've been doing for the last sort of 
three, four years, certainly, anyway. Little small world fact. We had Sarah on the show uh, for our Edmonton podcast last summer for the show Hospital along with, uh, with Robin Toller, who is our collaborator on that project. Uh, also joining us for this interview is Patricia Allison, who is the choreographer for the show. Uh, she's also somebody who uh, studied um, at the old LADMI at, in Montreal for our Montreal listeners. A little connection there. Hi, Patricia. Hello. How's it going? Great to have you on the show. I'm doing well. So let's talk about this work specifically. And uh, is, this a, is this a new direction for Q6 to have so much physical theater involved in your work? It definitely is, yeah. We, uh, the shows that we've done so far have largely been sort of naturalist theater pieces, a lot, lying a lot in sort of the dark comedy realm. And this script reads kind of like a dark comedy. It's incredibly dark, it's incredibly funny, and and has all those same elements that we love, just in terms of it being really relatable and really understandable. Um, but the way that it's written, it would not play as a naturalist piece, and we knew that from the get-go. It's practically written like a poem. Um, there's not even assigned lines, just sort of line after line of dialogue with no indication of what you should do with it. Uh, and so we knew we were really excited by this piece, but we had no idea even how to begin to tackle it. And that's when we called Trish because she's fantastic and super necessary to a process like this. And the two of us worked together to make this thing happen. Yeah. Um, I mean, having never worked with Jill or Q6 before, um, they trust, they put a lot of trust in me going into it. Um, and one of the things in the early meetings with Jill is based on the nature of the work, I knew that I was going to have to Yoko Ono the experience. So I knew that I was going to have to just be seated next to Jill at all times because the way that storytelling happens, you have to kind of weave in and out seamlessly. So I knew that I couldn't be away from rehearsals. I had to know what was happening so that our collaboration could be organic. Because a lot of the time on theater shows, I find I'm only brought in for like one day. And often it makes that transition clunky into movement. So thanks to Jill and Q6 for trusting me on that one and letting me hang out. <laughs> We're glad we did. <laughs> can you can you tell us a bit more about the, the themes of the work? There seems to be a, a sort of a discomfort or, a, a, as you were saying, a dark situation going on. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's making people uncomfortable in the best possible way. People are kind of walking away and going, I love that and it hurt me, um, which is the best. Uh, and I think partially that's because it hits so close to home. It's about a group of artists and one of them has gotten incredibly famous and the others have not. Uh, and it deals a lot with artistic jealousy, which is this incredibly dark but incredibly real thing that we all have. Um, all of these characters say horrible things that you for sure have thought. Um, and so you just see yourself reflected on stage in, in and all of the things you wouldn't say out loud. Um, but yeah, and it also deals with, you know, uh, to a certain extent, personal tragedy and how we deal with that both on the surface and underneath uh, and naming again all of the like antisocial thoughts you have around the tragedies that you deal with in your life, which sound horrible, but are actually incredibly human and real. And I think just putting that in front of people's faces, they go, yep, I know what that is. And I don't love that I know what that is, but they connect to it, which is great. And Patricia, what was the um, process of, of 
of transitioning from the Yoko Ono role to more of a hands-on uh, uh, choreographer in this in the show and taking some more ownership over over the work itself? Well, I think the best thing is is that uh, we actually started every day with physical work. Um, so that's primarily how we started was in warm-ups and exercises, and that's how we really got them to work as an ensemble. And uh, when you see the show, you can just see how well the four of them work together from like day one. It was incredible. Um, so yeah, it would normally start with me more leading and like having things to show like motifs and qualities and things to show Jill and then Jill would take over and it, at which time I would sit directly next to her and just continue <laughs> watching her process so I knew what to come in with the next day. Mm-hmm. And you have uh, five cast members, five performers in this show? Uh, we actually only have four. Oh, okay. Um, uh, yes, the Fringe program will tell you it's five, which was true at one time. Uh, and then unfortunately, Oyna Ladajo, who's a fantastic Toronto-based actor, uh, the show she was in at Soul Pepper got extended. Uh, worst of possible problems, obviously. Uh, and so she it just became a huge conflict for us, which is too bad. She's fantastic. But because of the way that this show is written, um, we sort of had a choice in front of us, which was either try to cast somebody else who was available all the time, mm-hmm. all the rehearsal times we'd already scheduled, or... Uh, redivide the script up so that it was only four people and that's what we as a company decided to do and we sat down and spent a whole rehearsal where the actors kind of got to go oh you know what that really feels like my line or you know what this line never felt like my line and someone else would claim it and then they might take one of Oyen's old lines and it was actually a really lovely sort of way to rework the show and way for everybody to get to know their character a little more deeply which was great. And what's the, the what's the background of the performers? Are are many of them movement based performers, or are they new to movement? What's the ratio of that in the in the cast? Did you say? Uh, primarily actors, but every single one of them in their training had to tackle moving at some point to various levels. Um, Chai, in particular, is known for being in movement pieces in the community. Um, And then the other three, it was very important to Jill and I that we just worked within their abilities. Um, So we never tried to layer anything on top of them that they couldn't do. Um, And they were all so open to it. I asked them to do some weird things, and they were just (laughs) always so open to trying and climbing on top of each other and moving like amoebas for hours at a time. Uh, So, yeah, Yeah. I mean, yeah, they were, in my opinion, perfect for the piece. Mm -hmm. And how is it working with uh, primarily theater performers in, in a dance or a movement context, I should say? It's uh, something that I love to do, so I do it often. um, Because as I was speaking, when it comes to making work for specific bodies, um, uh, that's I I see that as like a wonderful challenge. And the best thing about working with actors is they approach the work in a different way. Whereas dancers come in through their bodies, actors come in with character and narrative, and they have questions that they want to ask you. So they always raise the work to a level. Um, that as dancers, we just, in a way that we just don't generally approach the work. Um, so I adore working with actors. Even I have my own company, Last Name, First Name Productions. And normally it's like 50-50 actors and dancers in all of my pieces. Because I just love actors so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, as far as uh, structuring the show, 
uh, you said there's this this kind of magical distribution of, of the lines and making it work with a cast of four. Uh, when creating the scenes, was it something that you came forth and it was already done? Or, or is it something that's shaped with the cast and there's is there an improvisational element in your creative process? Uh, there definitely is, yeah. I am not the type of person who likes to go into any room with all the answers. Mm-hmm. I... I believe very strongly that, you know, when you assemble the right team, they bring a lot to the table. And when you use the best of everybody, you will get something much better than the best of any one person. Um, Because of the timeline, I had to divide the script up before we went into rehearsals, which was why, you know, as sad as losing that one actor was when it gave us the opportunity to to sort of go back and redivide with them that was really lovely because I would have loved to do that with them in the first place. Um, But yeah, we sort of started out building and Trish building sort of different feels and, and uh, building little pieces of movement around ideas and words. And then, and then we'd go back and approach the scenes as scenes. And at a certain point we kind of just decided to throw a whole structure down and see what worked uh, and it didn't work that well. <laughs> but then you have a starting point. And so once we had this sort of, I would call it the like puke draft of the show, uh, we went back and then started looking at the things in depth and making them great. And mm-hmm. and what's come out of that is really, really fantastic, actually. And how is Pool No Water different from other, um, other projects that you've done with uh, Q6? Is this, there's, there's definitely more movement, more choreography, and is this a direction you want to continue afterwards? Yeah, I think so. Um, it's funny, like, Trish and I have talked even about this show, and we're like, I want to do this show again. There's so many more Ooh. options, even for this play alone, let alone other shows. Um, but, yeah, it's very different in terms of movement. Uh, and for me, in a lot of ways, so much scarier. I feel like more than other shows I've done, this felt like just like sitting my heart on stage and letting people well, stomp also on the, it or also not. Also, the 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 con the content, the the, the themes of, of it. You know, you guys being within the artistic community, and these are really questions and things you can relate to, and if not, almost like therapeutic to kind of share them and exactly. connect with them again. Well, and as soon as you put movement to something, it's also there's something so much more vulnerable about that too, about it's really showing people your interpretation of something in a whole different way. And I don't know if you can speak to that more, Trish, but. Well, yeah, uh, I feel like movement just um, allows you to explore those gray areas more. So the text, um, you can pull from the text and you can create just a little bit more of an investigation and more of an exploration into the things you can't put into words. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the movement you'll notice in the show is just like you get a feeling from it and you like get, you get, you get a lot from it, but it's not necessarily intellectual. It's more physical. Like you can feel it as you're watching it. And what's that feeling you want the audience to live, leave with after the show? What what are you hoping they're going to leave with? Well, we want them to feel good, I think, but they don't. (laughs) I don't think we want them to feel good. I don't think you can. I think, not with this piece. Um, Honestly, when I first read this piece, I I got to the end of it and I was just kind of like, ow. And if we can make 
that happen to people, then I think we've done our jobs. But that's that, I, that sounds so horrible, but it's also true. Well, Jill Harper, Patricia Allison, thank you so much for joining us today and telling us about the show Pool No Water by the company Q6 at the, the Toronto Fringe Festival. Thank you, guys. Thank you. We're going to wrap up this Fringe coverage episode the same way we did last summer, where we went across Canada and uh, talked to different dance companies and movement uh, creators at the Fringe festivals that we were uh, also performing in. So again, uh, For Body and Light is the company name. Um, Choreographer Stephanie Morin-Robert, my co-host, and... And, of course, Linnea Giviazda, our guest host for the tour, is uh, one of the performers in the work, as am I, Alison Burns. And Ian Ferrier is the spoken word poet and musician for the show. So, uh, basically, we are performing at the Toronto Fringe alongside these wonderful artists we've just had the opportunity to speak with. And uh, we're just going to take a moment to check in about uh, how Toronto's been treating us so far. It's it's cool because we've we haven't um, performed this show in a fringe festival for nearly a year since we were in Vancouver and that finished last September, um, and it's crazy how fast it feels familiar again. I think you know day one we're suddenly back in a, a fringe environment with the show we were touring last summer from Saskatoon westward, and we're in a new city and we're kind of doing it all over again. And it's something that's so familiar to us now that. There's um, there's a comfort in it, um, but then there's still the same stresses of promoting the show, getting people out to the show. We've never performed in Toronto t- together as a company before. Um, people don't know who we are. We're at the Fringe, and we're a dance show, and what is that? Is it a risk? Like, all the same um, issues we were running into last year, or, or maybe challenges, I should say, exist here as well. So... So it's kind of getting back into the good, both the good and the bad of the festival um, and and being familiar with all those things, but it never gets easier in a way. I think the, the exciting part of it is the fact that the show is there and we, we're comfortable with it and it exists and, and to be able to possibly put more focus in those other elements of, of promoting and getting the word out and, and making that work. And I think that... Um, I think we, we, we took on a lot of knowledge from last year, so that's been super helpful. But yeah, there's still the same, like, feeling super vulnerable being at a dance show in a mostly theater festival, and, um, and it's great to be able to talk to the other dance companies and realize that they've got those same, that same sense of, of, uh, of not being sure, like, oh, how do we fit here, and, and uh, well, how do we get people to see dance? when they're not used to seeing dance and they're mostly uh, into seeing theater. So I think, yeah, questions we asked ourselves last year. It's really reincurring. Yeah, and, and Toronto's a big city and the venues are distributed kind of differently. We're lucky because we're we're situated right next to the Fringe Club um, at the Randolph Theatre, which is a beautiful big space. Um, but the venue is, is 215 seats and it's a big venue to fill. So even when you have a, a good amount of people at your show, it sometimes doesn't feel like that many so it's it's always trying to trying to work to get more and more people in um but the reception has been amazing we've had one lady um in particular that's come to see all three of our shows we've done so far and uh and that's pretty exciting to 
to have that sort of reception from people um, is really rewarding. Along with what you were saying at the beginning, Linnea, about the, the just picking up where we left off in a sense, uh, the community is great because all these connections, all these friends and colleagues that we've met along the way last summer, uh, a lot of them have returned for, for a second tour. So to be back with, with those with those people and then and then be able to make even further connections from here has been really nice and that 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 really is the kind of thing that happens once you get out of your own city you know we were all participating in the Montreal fringe in one fashion or another but it's it's much different when you are an active part of the festival and not in your hometown and the festival becomes a little bit more has a little bit more weight I would also say as far as like the the relationship of dance with the fringe here in Toronto is a unique one. In 2008 I was here with a show and it was the first year that they were trying to um, they were experimenting with creating the dance category here at the Toronto Fringe Festival. And the Dance Umbrella of Ontario supported that process by creating opportunities for the dance companies to mix and mingle with each other. They created workshops, opportunities for the for the performers as part of the festival as well, and um, basically gave us resources, where to find yoga classes, uh, you know, coupons for different things, and uh, suggestions on where to eat healthy, and it was a really wonderful experience. And as far as I understand, they did that for five years, kind of to support the, the separation of this category. And it has since returned uh, that Duo is no longer supporting that process but the category is still in existence which is um which is still fantastic that there's a separate category it makes it it makes it gives it a guarantee that there's going to be dance content at the fringe in toronto um but it's an interesting it's interesting that that without that duo support it has kind of returned to this this without our without our active um initiative the dance companies may or may not ever cross paths or, or collaborate or, or you know, cross-promote or anything like that. And then this is something that we spoke about in our Montreal Fringe episode uh, prior to the festival with Amy and Jeff, with Amy Blackmore and Jeff Agambar, about whether or not it's necessary to have that category. And whereas in Montreal, they find that there's a lot of multidisciplinary work in the festival. And to categorize it one way or another as theatre or dance or anything at all does provide does suggest a little problem, which uh, which maybe is different because of Toronto's perspective on dance, perhaps versus Montreal's perspective. Yeah, and I know a lot of people that I've spoke to who are who are kind of used to doing the fringe and touring the fringe and winning. I mean, doing paying their rent by doing the fringe year round, say that we should, um, which I think is quite interesting. We should have our our program marked as the genre being physical theater and not dance and that will be less intimidating for those who um, aren't used to seeing dance and and still interesting for those who are looking for something physical like dance um, but yeah I don't know interesting <laughs> musings <laughs> I guess I'm always, I always find it interesting that the fringe is kind of a place where um, you know you're, you're, you're taking a risk and you're seeing some independent theater and and you know, it's not curated, it's uncensored, and, and anything can happen. So you never really know what you're getting yourself in for. And even in these circumstances, people like to stay in their comfort zone. And I find that really interesting, um, even in a place that is, is, is kind of wacky and meant for um, taking risks. Sometimes people just won't take risks. And, and it's not just with dance. Often, uh, you know, anything that isn't a comedy, I think, um, has that that struggle so um anything more dramatic or or serious or 
uh, yeah, less comedic. Um, I've heard uh, similar similar struggles from those artists as well. So I think that'll just about wrap up our coverage of uh, dance and movement at the Toronto Fringe Festival for 2015. And uh, we'll be back at you shortly with more updates from our tour. If you're interested in more dance in Toronto coverage, you should check out CIUT's show Evidence. It's uh, hosted by Ted Fox and it's based here in uh, Toronto. And uh, he talks weekly with different uh, dance artists in the city and abroad. And uh, this week, uh, this past week, myself uh, and Stephanie Morin-Robert were on the show to talk about For Body and Light. And I stuck around to co-host the rest of the hour. So check that out. The Dirty Feet Podcast is produced and hosted by Produit et animé par Alison Burns J.D. Papillon et Stéphanie Morin-Robert We have Mainline Theatre, Montreal Improv Theatre and Paula Flalo to thank. Merci pour le soutien. Vous pouvez visiter notre site web, écouter les derniers épisodes, lire notre blog, nous aimer sur Facebook et nous suivre sur Twitter. You can visit our website, listen to past episodes, read our blog, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Show us some love and help us spread the word. Montrez-nous un peu d'amour et aidez-nous à passer le mot.